0: From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And the topic for this edition is addiction among military personnel and veterans. And joining me by phone from uh, Long Island, New York, is Dr. Heather C. Robertson, Associate Professor of Counselor Education at St. John's University. She's the Program Coordinator for the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program there. And Dr. Robertson, thank you so much for uh, joining us by telephone today.
1: Thank you so much for asking me to
0: be here. And I should add that you have a plethora of licenses and certifications in mental counseling, and you've done, uh, you've done some research uh, focusing on substance abuse among the military and veterans. Just how big a problem is addiction in the U.S. military, and is it, uh, is it any worse a problem in the military than it is in the population at large?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, and I would say that, you know, the the numbers are comparable, but because we're looking at a smaller percentage of veterans in the country, the the numbers do seem somewhat larger than than you would expect. But for the most part, um, you know, the most recent data probably coming out of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, is saying that really about, you know, one in four veterans struggle with um, illegal drug use. And that anywhere from, um, you know, and about seven, 7% seven of the military population struggles with illegal drug use and alcohol combined. And then the statistics on alcohol use and, and problem alcohol use, you know, some statistics up as high as 80% of veterans and active personnel struggle with alcohol use. So there's a lot of data out there that shows that, um, you know, some military populations and veterans are using substances. But your point is valid, that they're not likely using them at greater rates than the civilian population, but we also know that with situations of post-traumatic stress disorder, about one quarter of veterans who have PTSD also have a substance use disorder.
0: So they're seeking uh, uh, help in the uh, in in the addiction they have, and they're they're turning to booze to uh, or you know illicit uh, drugs to uh, soothe their. The pain they feel from uh, post-traumatic stress and other conditions that confront military personnel.
1: Yeah, and a, that's one of the factors that are there. Basically, just dealing with the stress and the trauma, and the stress and um, overcoming the trauma. But also, there's a lot of you know alcohol use in military culture. We know that sometimes that's a big part of the component and celebration of of being in the service. So sometimes even the traditions that are in place there lend themselves to using al- at least alcohol. For celebratory measures and for traditional measures, that could for folks who have addiction disorders really um, exacerbate the problem.
0: Are there any obstacles for treatment? Uh, are there? Are is it more difficult for a member of the military to uh, get help than it is for someone out there in the general population?
1: Yeah, I mean I'll, I, that's another great question as well. So um, I could I could say quite a few things about that, but feel free to keep me um, a little bit on the short end there. So you know, here's a few situations. Traditionally, across our country, not just for veterans, but substance use and mental health disorders, there's a great deal of stigma attached to those diagnoses. So there's still a lot of stigma and shame. A lot of people still see substance use as a moral failing. So in general, the population in general is hesitant sometimes to seek help for substance use disorders because they're afraid of the judgment or the stigma that goes along with that. With the military, there's an added component, which is that for some active members, they fear... Um, the impact on their military career, on their military promotion. So there is um, a little bit more stigma involved in the military because folks are afraid this could get up to my commanding officer, this could impact my family, this could impact my promotion. So we do have more concern about military populations being maybe what we call a lower help-seeking population.
0: And is it likely that someone on active duty who seeks help for addiction uh, is likely to be exposed to their command?
1: Well, you know, that's a great question, and I will say that, um, you know, for for many of the service members I've worked with, there is help available. There is help available to active duty military members and to veterans alike. The problem is are you willing to seek it? And so whether it could be detrimental to them or their career, you know, tends to vary on the severity of the issue. If there was a drinking and driving incident that might have more impact than someone who says, hey, I need help. Um, so it's going to depend on the extent of use and the way in which that use has impacted their you know, their performance on, on, on base or within their command. So it, it could be that it could get up to their command if that's the level of the infraction, or it could be the person seeks help on their own through TRICARE, or Champus or another mechanism. But there is services available to active duty military and veterans um, if they're willing to seek them.
0: And I'm looking at a paper that you uh, wrote uh, three, four years ago called Spirituality, Substance Abuse, and the Military, and uh, how does spirituality uh, figure into recovery from addiction issues?
1: Mm. You know, spirituality has a long history in substance use treatment. So uh, if you're familiar with any of the 12 steps, so whether we're talking about Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous, even Overeaters Anonymous, there's, there's, a, there's a long history of relying on spirituality, and spirituality as the person defines it, um, in those types of 12-step treatment plans. So traditionally, we use spirituality quite regularly in substance abuse counseling and in substance abuse work for a lot of reasons. Um, it's portable. You can take it anywhere. Uh, there's just a, a lot of data that shows that people who struggle with substance disorders can cope positively with that disorder by using spirituality.
0: Are there any caveats to that? I noticed in the paper that uh, that you wrote that uh, some service men and women who don't bring to their counseling uh, a, a belief in spirituality may not do as well. Is that true?
1: Yeah, and that's that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up again. You know, so what we'll say is this about spirituality. The, the data has shown that spirituality can be very helpful in recovery. It can also be helpful in overcoming trauma, which makes it appropriate for military. But it very much depends on how the individual views their spirituality. So let me explain that. If I'm an individual who sees my, my God and my faith as a, as a as a loving god, as a forgiving god, as as a kind and caring god, I'm more likely to see my spirituality as a positive coping strategy in my recovery. But if I'm somebody who views, you know, my faith as being punitive and harsh and and damning, then perhaps that person is less likely to get the same positive effects from their spirituality in their substance use treatment as someone who views their faith in a loving and forgiving way.
0: And we hear it often uh, but did You know, bears repeating that in the military, uh, the chaplains are there uh, to help guide uh, their flock, uh, to help when they need it, and uh, the, the the chaplains are among the few officers that you can go to and and share a problem like this with and it not get back to their command. How closely do uh, counselors, addiction counselors, work with the chaplains in the military to help folks who are addicted?
1: I'm so glad you brought that up, because, you know, your earlier question about, you know, will it get to their command, the, the probably the pastoral counseling individuals who work within the military are often that first line of defense, because they know that a service member knows they can go to their pastor, they can go to their pastoral counselor, and they can speak freely. Um, so I think that they're, they're an integral part, except that I don't know that the clinical professionals will often collaborate with the, the, the clergy or the, or the pastoral counselors because of that confidentiality, because of that um, inability to for that, for that pastoral um, counselor to share what that client has shared with them in session.
0: What should someone who is either a veteran, we haven't talked too much yet about veterans, but uh, well, let's first talk about that person who's on active duty. They feel like they have a substance abuse problem. Where where do they go?
1: I mean they you know, they're like I said, if they are a person of faith and they do have a relationship with the chaplain, um on their command, that is always a good place to start because that person can give them some guidance on um where they wish to where they wish to go next. But for example, it depends on the severity. Is it a person who's saying, like, gee, I think I might just wanna check out an AA meeting and see what that's all about? They can do that on their own outside of their command. They can they can experience that. If it's someone who says, like, I'm afraid that if I stop drinking, I might go into the delirium tremors, go into the DTs, which means they probably cannot safely detox from alcohol, then they're going to need some more significant interventions. They're going to perhaps need to talk to a command or at least get medical help in order to aid them in their recovery process.
0: Uh, okay, so what's your advice to counselors who are... Uh, advising a, a service person uh, about addiction and the role that spirituality might have in that counseling. What, how should the counselor uh, handle spirituality?
1: Sure. I I appreciate that question because, you know, for so long, the benefit of being in the field for over 25 years is you kind of see how it changes. So for so long in counseling, we're like, don't bring up spirituality unless the client brings it up. Don't talk about it unless they do. And we've actually thrown that out the window more recently. What we say is, you know, assess for spirituality. See if if that person has spiritual beliefs, has spiritual faith. Because what the literature has shown time and time again is that Someone who who uses their spirituality and their faith as a positive coping mechanism can use that for whatever mental health or addiction concern they bring to the table. So the first thing I would say to the counselor is, are you doing some sort of assessment for spirituality? Are you asking about strengths and about how if they draw strength from their faith? And so... What types of faith or religious practices are they using that we can continue to reinforce in their recovery or in their treatment? So my first advice to counselors would be some sort of spirituality assessment. The second thing would be to let the the client sort of lead. One thing we can't do as counselors, we can't impose our own values. We can't impose our own values on our clients. But let them lead. If they have a faith practice, let that lead the session. And if they don't, put it aside for a period of time.
0: Okay, let's turn to veterans now, and uh, these are folks who uh, have uh, served, going back to World War II. And uh, mm-hmm, sure. uh, have you found any uh, any differences in the rate of addiction among uh, veterans versus active duty personnel?
1: Mm, um, you know, not so much rates of, of uh, addiction that are that are different, but more factors that are different. I would say so. For example, among the veteran population When we're thinking about addiction we often think about homelessness because we know that a large number of our homeless veterans also have substance use disorders um so there are just different factors that come in play once someone is out of the military um, we don't think about homelessness when someone's active duty because they're most likely not homeless um so are not necessarily different rates of addiction um but different factors that might impact one's addiction so that's the main difference we 're
0: seeing and of course, the veterans don 't have to worry about uh, their uh, uh, condition getting reported back to their command, so that 's an advantage
1: absolutely the ch- The challenge that we see with veterans sometimes is just um, the vA does the very best with the resources they have, but but they're saturated they're really sort of um, at their capacity sometimes as far as the number of veterans they can serve. So the where we've seen a lot of success, at least where I've worked previously, is in the nonprofit sector, nonprofit sectors that have programs particularly for veterans. We know that peer-to-peer relationships are very helpful to veterans in treatment, and so if we can recreate those peer-to-peer programs outside of a VA system, uh, those programs do very well.
0: Is there any evidence that uh, men and women who have been deployed to combat zones have higher rates of addiction than those who haven't been deployed?
1: Yeah, there has been some research on that, but there's been higher rates of binge drinking and there's been higher rates of um, what we would call, what we used to call back in the day alcohol abuse. Um, and also, you know, depending on deployment and the ability, uh, or not the ability, but the condition of that deployment to have caused injury, we know that if someone has been prescribed at some point in time a pain medication there's a likelihood that that person might ultimately abuse that pain medication so again if the deployment somehow led to injury or long-term injury uh, many of the veterans we see in recovery you know started out with a prescription for pain medication that ultimately uh, led to an addiction
0: what kind of research has been done that would tie the source of the depression and post traumatic stress moral injury and other conditions uh Producing the alcoholism that we're talking about, or uh, illicit drug use, it, are, it, it, is the addiction closely tied to the experiences they had?
1: You know, I, w- I wish I could answer that with certainty, but I really, but I really can't because the other thing that I'm, I'm very cautious about in my research, and I want to make sure that I mention this to your listeners, is that. You know, we, we run the risk sometimes as if we follow the media too closely of painting the veteran population as a broken population, when in fact they're not. They're a very resilient, um, a very strong and adaptable population that includes veterans and active duty family members and military. So we can't, we, you know, one of the risks out there is saying, oh, every veteran that deploys is going to come back with PTSD. Not true, actually. The number of, of rates of PTSD actually vary depending on what, what, what study you look at. Uh, we know that sometimes we misdiagnose PTSD as, as when it's really traumatic brain injury. So there's a lot of different factors at play, and I don't want to say... You know, without the data to back it up, yes, it's the deployments and the trauma that caused the substance use disorder. Some folks may have had propensities towards substance use disorders coming into the military even before they served. You know, we have yet to isolate that gene, that addictive gene in this country, but there is some evidence that, there's, that there are genetic components to addiction as well.
0: How effective is Alcoholics Anonymous?
1: You know, there was just a study, I wish I had it up in front of me, that really shows that, again, AA and NA still tends to be some of the most effective um, long-term recovery plans out there. And, again, those those programs are very heavily rooted in spirituality, they're very heavily rooted in faith. So I wish I put my, my finger on the article that just came out, but time and time again we see, when you look at longitudinal studies um, that AA, NA, um, GA, OA, all of those programs that, again, have a strong base in spirituality and faith tend to have the best outcomes for long-term recovery.
0: And you mentioned in your research paper, Spirituality, Substance Abuse in the Military, that there needs to be more longitudinal studies. What would you like to see measured over time in these studies that you recommend?
1: You know, and it's funny when you think, of, I would like to see the spirituality component um evaluated along with their substance use. And there's a couple of studies that look at substance use from, you know, pre-service, during the service, and then post-service, They look at rates of substance use. Um, and they can you can sometimes, you know, cross-reference that with whether the person has been deployed or not. But I would like to look at coping strategies. You know, what coping strategies did they have before they came into the military? What coping strategies did they enhance or develop throughout? And how well did they use them? Because here's what we know about re- about addiction and recovery: it depends on coping strategies. People need to learn to develop coping strategies, which is why faith and spirituality, which is portable and universal, <laughs> um, can really be an asset to those who are who are struggling with substance use disorders.
0: And we know the military moves around a lot, so portability would be a, a real asset.
1: A real asset. Again and again, the only thing about you know AA and, and OA and, and NA is that people do develop that connection with their home group. So with the military, when you're moving regularly, you're losing that home group, you're losing that support group. But I think I probably mentioned this in the article, you know, while, while meditation is great, you know, meditation requires practice and training, prayer is, is portable. You know, prayer is something you take with you no matter where you go. And you, you pray in the way that, that, for you, speaks to God or your higher power. So there's a lot of value in that.
0: It's very interesting. It sounds like you're synthesizing two traditions of helping folks cope with mental illness. Of course, we've long had the religion uh, way of dealing with it, going back many, many, many centuries and in different cultures. Uh, And then the um, not-so-old therapeutic or or counseling, uh, faith and science, two different fields coming together in your view is what it sounds like to me.
1: Yes, and I'll and I'll tell you how I got here. I got here because I watched my clients use it. I, I watched and if you if you read the article you're referencing, a lot of those examples are, are you know, obviously screened and, and washed out for confidentiality. But our clients for whom have shared their spirituality or shared their resistance to spirituality along their recovery process. And as I said in the paper, there's evidence that shows spirituality helps with substance use and there's evidence that shows spirituality helps with with trauma and violence, let's look at the intersection of those three that are in spirituality and substance use and see how we can maximize that for our client's wellness.
0: How does someone know that one has an addiction problem aside from the obvious reasons, mm-hmm. uh, DUI or getting into trouble uh, yeah. in some way? I, uh, other than that, how would uh, is there a checklist, or can <laughs> you re- recommend uh, uh, how folks might determine?
1: I wish I had a, a fail-proof way, but I don't, because there are people who are still surprised. But you know, certain things you can look for. Things like spending money. Spending is a big one. Where you know, are there dollars being spent that you don't know where? Um, and that doesn't just always mean illicit drugs. People think, oh, you know, money being spent means means heroin or cocaine. Not necessarily. It could be money spent at a bar on the way home that the person doesn't have anymore. Um, so, so spending can be a big issue. Obviously, changes in behavior and. Um, maybe giving up responsibilities that primarily one would engage in because of their substance use. So things like work or social time with children, when people are abandoning those tasks for their substance use or their drinking, those are indications that somebody could be dealing with the substance use disorder. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously things like, um, A medical reaction I mentioned before, like delirium, tremors from withdrawing from alcohol, those are more significant. But earlier signs are things like spending, giving up significant responsibilities, um, and really just, again, sort of those changes in behavior where we're we're stepping away from things we would traditionally do in our lives to engage in substance use.
0: Have you found any difference among uh, age groups or gender in terms of uh, which ones uh, end up addicted to alcohol or some other substance.
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I don't have the data for, for gender, but the newest data, I think the article you have actually is using maybe 2015 data, but the 2018 data that's coming out of SAMHSA again is showing that we've actually seen some decrease in alcohol and substance use among 18- to 25-year-old veterans, but that we're really seeing no change among 25 and older. Um, Kind of the past five years, we've seen a decrease among the 18- to 25-year-olds, but we're still seeing a consistent pattern of use among 25 and older. Well,
0: you had several case examples in your study. One uh, was an Air Force veteran in his late 30s who uh, had not received an honorable discharge. Yeah. Uh, and he had been on hallucinogens. He doesn't consider himself religious, but did consider himself spiritual. What's the difference?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question, and I think that's the, the sticking point for a lot of people who go, "Oh, I'm not religious," or "Oh, I, you know," I, I, they kind of turn their back to it. Well, we talk about spirituality. We talk about spirituality as the person defines it. So that client in particular, again, that case has been washed out. But he was someone who didn't consider himself religious. He didn't practice a particular faith, but he considered himself spiritual. So he believed that, you know, nature was part of his spiritual practice. He believed that keeping himself calm and not getting angry was part of his spiritual practices. He believed that when in the past he would rage against someone or, or use substances, that part of his faith practice now was, was being calm and being in balance. So really, spirituality is just that, it's that process, that journey of, of finding what makes you whole, that's the journey of what, what your purpose is. And for some folks, that's religion and religious practice. But for some folks, it's just a sense of spirituality, well-being, and belongingness that helps you define your purpose.
0: And this particular individual managed to stay clean for over two years by participating in a 12-step program.
1: Right, and that's the irony there about that client was, think about that. Somebody who says, I'm not religious, but really enjoyed a military-specific 12-step program. That 12-step program was for veterans. And trust me, 12-step veterans—I mean, twelve-step programs are pretty heavily rooted in spirituality. They're pretty heavily rooted in some sort of faith. But for that client, even though he didn't consider himself religious, he really found value in, that, in those spiritual beliefs about sort of oneness with himself and oneness with the world around him.
0: So let's get back to the counselors. What should they be asking uh, their uh, clients, patients who come to them for uh, counseling? And uh, uh, there might be a, an addiction problem underlying uh, any particular set of problems that brings them to counseling.
1: Well, you know, one thing I think we have a problem in our field, and I'll speak as a counselor with a lot of, like you said, credentials and things, we, we have a problem of being problem-focused. So I think when someone comes in for counseling, we ask them all about what's wrong, right? What's, what's the problems? Because that's what we're there to do. We, we probably have an obligation, as I said before, to ask about what their strengths are, what works for them. And that's where we ask about things like spiritual practice, religious practice, faith, coping strategies. So we can then in turn use those positive assets as part of their recovery plan. You know, one of the cases I talk about was a client who, when we developed the treatment plan, which is very much like, you know, what are your substance use goals, what are your mental health goals? um, He said to me, I would like to add a goal about carving out time in my day for prayer. I want to make that a part of my plan for wellness. So again, we, we need to consider... How can, we, how can we use the spirituality if it's a part of the client's coping strategies and maximize it to improve their recovery process? So that's what I would say is making sure that we're looking at, as part of our screening tools, not just the problems, but what's that person's coping strategy and does it include faith and does it include spirituality because the data shows that can make a big difference.
0: In the few minutes we have left, bottom line, uh, what is your advice to the active duty personnel who um, may have uh, problems with addiction and separately to the veteran?
1: Um, My advice is talk to someone, and I'm going to tell you a brief story. Know that we're out of time. I have a second set of literature where I asked veterans, uh, if you won't go to a counselor, who will you go to? And so I asked them things like, will you go to clergy? Would you go to your command? Would you go to your friends? Um, inevitably the data was overwhelming for a multitude of issues that they would go to their partner or their spouse or their significant other. So I think it's also important to your listeners who might be feeling members or even to the veterans and actively themselves, even if you talk to your partner, talk to someone um, and ask for some support. I also want to give a shout out to the Veterans Administration because they have a lot of online tools. You can screen yourself right online from the VA website for substance use disorder as post-traumatic stress disorder. So there are tools online, even if you don't want to speak to somebody, and they in turn can point you to a resource nearby that's outside of your command that can get you the help you need. And, of course, the, the pastoral counseling is a great place to start because you know you have that confidentiality built in if you're an active duty service member.
0: And I suppose the tools on the veteran's website could also help the active duty person as well.
1: Absolutely. They, they, they can help the civilian because they don't discriminate. You can kind of sign on and use them yourself. But yes, they're designed for military and veterans. Correct.
0: Dr. Heather C. Robertson, Associate Professor of Counselor Education at St. John's University in New York. Dr. Robertson, thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I appreciated sharing this information with your audience.